Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. Perfect. So we are online. Thank you very much. Now is 7 o'clock as we see it. And welcome to VIP Creative Webinar with Mentor Investor, friend of mine, Shirley Hagen. How are you, Shirley, today? I am great, Yerk. Thank you very much. How are you? I am always good. You don't have to even ask about that, right? You know this. <laughs> exactly. You're always good, Yerk. So, Shirley, can you tell you a little bit about yourself, please, if you don't mind? Certainly. Uh, thank you very much, Yark, for inviting me to join you this evening. I've been a member of Canada Reek ever since it started two years ago when the first members had joined and uh, been very impressed with what you've been doing with the group and involving the community. Uh, I myself have been a real estate investor for over 10 years. I've invested probably around 300 units in Canada and the United States. I've been involved in multiple different strategies to buy properties creatively with little to no money down. Um, I've done you know wholesale, buy, fix, and sell, rent to own. I have rental properties. I have commercial property, land development. I have a wide variety of things. And I've been investing in the United States since 2002. So I have a wide variety of things that I've been doing. And, and I, I do also run a training company and uh, work with individuals who are interested in taking their business to the next level as a coach and mentor uh, in real estate investing. So I have a great time doing that, get to meet a lot of really great people, and I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to come and talk to your group here at Canada Reek, your VIPs. So if you have some questions, let's, uh, let's proceed. Uh, let's say this, let's arrange the normal steps, so I will just explain how that will work. All the attendees, they are on the muted, uh, state so in order to have a, a question and participate and uh, talk with Shelley I will ask you politely to raise the hand and write the question and mention that if you have a speakers microphone or headset and you can talk or rather you like me to read the question honest honestly I prefer you asking the questions so I don't have to read it and I don't have to be focusing on making sure that the question will be asked, asked correctly. So let's do that way, okay? Secondly, uh, uh, there is a question from Carol. Hello, Mr. Shu, online. Hello, Kasia. And you can ask anytime, okay? So there is a question from Carol, and I see that she doesn't have a microphone, and I and is this right, Carol? Yes, she has no microphone. Okay, there is a question. I am looking at mobile home on rented land. Needs rehab, but good potential. 
what issues should I be looking at when analyzing this deal? Would you like me okay. to read the question again? Uh, no, I think maybe I've got that. I'll just verify. Uh, if I run into anything, I'll, I'll verify that I answered sure. it. Um, that's a very good question about mobile homes. Mobile homes are, I think, a real hidden gem in the Canadian market that most people overlook and don't take a look at that seriously. And for anyone that's looking to invest in the United States, there's huge opportunities down there. Um, because about 13 to 20 percent, depending on the market that you're looking at, of the homes in those areas are mobile homes, are modular homes. So big difference with a mobile home that is on a rented lot. In that particular case, you do not own the title to the land when you own that mobile home. In essence, it's like owning a chattel, like owning a vehicle, a car of some kind. So when you go to buy that property, you can use the real estate board contract to buy it because people are comfortable in seeing that contract, but you don't necessarily have to. Uh, and you have to make sure that you have clauses in there that talk to you the specifics about the mobile home. When you buy that mobile home, it will not be registered in the land titles bank, excuse me, a database anywhere, because you're not buying the land, you're just buying the chattel. There is a registry uh, database probably in most Canadian provinces uh, what you should do, first and foremost, is do a title search on the mobile home to determine whether there's any liens against that home. For example, is there a mortgage or a loan of any kind on the property or any other judgments or anything that are on that. So instead of going to the title database, you're going to go to the registry database. In order to do that, when you go to buy the house, you need to get the serial number of the mobile home because everything is launched by the serial number versus the physical land description. So it's very important that you get that physical, that serial number. And when you go through and actually buy the property, it's just like you and I were going to buy a car. If uh, I was buying a car from you, Yarek, you and I would meet. We would you know, transfer the serial number of the car from your name to my name, a, tr a document would transfer. We would you know, exchange the money in lieu of getting the keys to the car. I would get in the car, make sure I have license on the car, and I would drive away. In the case of the mobile home, the same thing. If it's rented, I'm actually buying the mobile home from you directly. We transfer the serial number on our offer to purchase, whatever contract that we're going to use. And I never, I don't have to go to the lawyer because Laura's not registering anything at the land titles. I verify the title to make sure at the registry that there's nothing against it. And of course, I've done my inspection of the property, etc. And then I just buy the property and away I go. I do need to. The second thing I need to make sure on here is that I can still keep the lease in the mobile home park where that mobile home is at. So a very good thing to keep in mind as part of your due diligence with that as well is to contact the mobile home park, tell them that you're looking to buy unit 120, whatever it happens to be, and are you able to assume that, that leased lot? Or is there any outstanding notices from the mobile home park that against that particular property that you need to be made aware of? Maybe the mobile home park has outstanding issues because there's work needs to be done. It doesn't fit the current standards of the mobile home park. Or perhaps maybe they've said that they have to move it out because it's too old and too dilapidated. 
located. Sometimes that happens in some mobile home parks. As well, in Calgary, there's one mobile home park that's actually going to be relocating to a new location in the next couple of years. So if you're buying these mobile homes, you may actually have to physically move it to another mobile home park someplace else around the community. So those are some of the challenges that you run into. It's a little bit different. So check the registry to see if there's any liens against that, that property. Do your due diligence for the mobile home park? Do your due diligence in reviewing the property and doing your inspections? Do your comparables to see if it makes sense with other mobile homes in the park? And then write up your contract and transfer the property using the serial number to yourself if you feel through your due diligence process that everything was adequate. Does that answer the question? Uh, Carol, would you mind just typing if that answers your question? Okay. Okay. That was a very good question. Not very many people ask about mobile homes. Yeah, that's another part of the business, right? You have exactly. to be you have to be unique in any businesses to be successful, right? If everybody going after one of the strategies, so how high chances you have in order to be successful in it? Okay. Exactly. So I have another question. Uh, this is about RSPs okay. and, and rent-to-own, okay? Can a, can a rent-to-own uh, owner use his, her RSPs as a down payment when purchasing the house? That's a very good question. So I'm assuming when it comes time to actually close. That's um, right. The rent-to-own tenant buyer can use their RSPs if they meet the new first-time home buyer criteria laid out by the CMHC and the Securities Council. So it has to be their first primary home that they've ever purchased. They can't have had one in their name before. And if that's the case, yes, they can. And I've actually done this a couple of times with rent-to-own clients. So typically what I will do is I will get a couple thousand dollars up front and I'll get verification that they have RSP money, so they give me a copy of their RSP statement, and we make it conditional upon that, say they're going to put down $10,000. They give me 5000 cash, and before closing, they will remove 5000 from their RSPs under the first-time homebuyer program and use that as a down payment at the end to close on the down. So that's the criteria. If they've owned a home before, no, they can't use it. If they have not, and they meet the criteria for first-time home buyers, yes, they can. I've actually taken that next step, too. People have eligible RSPs, and they have not used it. I've had people actually go take out a loan to an RSP loan, topped up their RSPs, and then cashed it in to use. They get a tax benefit from the government and they get to use their RSPs for the first time home buyer program. And they can pay it back over 20 years. So it's a way for them to get in uh, with a minimal, with a borrowed money for a down payment. And still meet all the lender criteria and CMHC. Okay. So that was a two part question. Perfect. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that. So. Uh, just just to follow up with the Carol, she she said that thank you very much. And secondly, uh, yeah, that's perfect answer for the RSP guy, Mr. Okay. Shu. 
Okay, are you? I'm going to unmute you now. Hello, Mr. Shu. Yes, can you hear me? Hey, Shu, how are you? Good, how are you? Very good, thanks. So what is your question, Shu? Yeah, uh, I got a question about uh, uh, about uh, tax, uh, tax saving account. Uh, I just uh, wonder how should I do to use uh, money in my tax saving account as a down payment to buy a house or rent a home or agreement for sale? For yourself? Uh, for myself or uh, for my uh, company. Okay. Well, on a tax savings account, I have not used it in that particular context at this point in time, so I'd say I'm not that familiar with them. My understanding yeah. is that uh, any money that you make in that tax savings account, from the funds within the tax savings account, does mm -hmm. come back to you tax-free, any income you make. Now, if you're using it to buy your own personal home, though, on mm -hmm. a rent-to-own, mm -hmm. I don't think that would be the best use of those funds personally. Uh, because mm -hmm. you're not really getting uh, a return on your investment as such. It's not like you're you know, taking that money out and using it for an investment uh, and getting like a 10% return that you want mm -hmm. to write off the interest on. I don't know if that would be the best use of that particular fund for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, So uh, if I got some money in my tax saving account, what, what, what the best way to to let the money work for me. Any suggestion? Uh, well, you can take that money out and use it in an investment uh, that uh, would give you, say, a 10 or 15 percent return, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps through some kind of, um, you know, I'm thinking of an investment with an offering memorandum, like something like a Walton Group investment mm -hmm. or some other um, high ratio savings group, there's several that you can, you know, you invest five, ten, twenty thousand dollars and you mm -hmm. get ten or fifteen percent return and then all of those returns come back into the tax savings account and it's tax free. Mm -hmm. Any so if you had, you know, say the last two years you put five thousand dollars in each year, you got ten thousand dollars, you mm -hmm. invest it with, you know, a financial company out there mm -hmm. and they give you a 10 or 15 percent return. You put that money back into the tax savings account, tax-free savings account, and you don't have to pay tax on it as a capital gain. So mm -hmm. my understanding, again, I'm not that familiar with with it otherwise, is that um, you, the money that you use, the income you make off it is tax savings on the money that you've had in there that you use to invest. You'd have to mm -hmm. check further than that. I'm, again, I, I have not used it. Uh, in a mm -hmm. real estate solution at this particular point in time. I've used it for other type of investments like that. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Is this for Thanks yourself personally? You're welcome. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. I just uh, was thinking maybe, I, I'm not quite sure, because uh, if I buy a house as a grooming for sale or just, uh, just flip but need some yeah. money, so I'm just thinking maybe you can use uh, money in my tax saving account, but not quite sure. But Yes, I haven't checked into that, shoe, so that's a very good question. I'll have to look into it. Um, again, I've used it for other types of investment other than real estate, so I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not an expert in that particular thing, so I'm sorry I can't help you any further in that particular scenario. Mm -hmm. I have to oh, do a little research, no but good mm -hmm. question. No problem. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your answer. Do you have any other ones? Uh, no, 
I know. That's it. How's okay, that? How's that mountain? Sure. Good. Uh, no, I'm having dinner. I gonna move this weekend. Ah, okay, okay. I oh, was you're thinking. moving to Edmonton. I didn't know that. <laughs> just a uh, just quick decision. Mm. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, good for you. All the best to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Do you have any other questions, Yerik? Yes. Sure. You are muted. Okay. Uh, there's another question. Let's assume that investor has an agreement for sale, and the question is, can an investor get a mortgage if the purchase agreement has been assigned to him or her? Okay, so I've got a property under contract, mm -hmm. and I'm assigning it to you for $10,000, and now you're going to go get a mortgage to buy the property. Is that correct? Mm, okay, that's, I will have to ask. I, I'm assuming the same, right? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. All right. Yes, you can. Now, here's a caveat. Some of the lenders right now in Canada have gotten a little more um, particular on their lending criteria. Some of them, if they see an assignment, they don't have a problem with it. And they, what, let's say, for example, Yerick, I bought this house. I got it under contract for 300000 and I'm selling it to you. You're gonna, I'm going to sign it to you for $10,000, and you're buying it, and the property's worth way more once you fix it up. Typical kind of scenario for an assignment. When you um, go to give financing, the bank will look at the original offer to purchase that I had made with the seller. And they're going to give you... As an investment property, you're going to be expected to put down your typical 20%, and they'll give you an 80% first mortgage based on the original purchase agreement of 300000 They will never give you a mortgage right now with 300000 plus 10. They won't give you a 310. It'll only be what the original purchase price was on that uh, original contract. Some lenders right now, or get concerned when they see an assignment contract period and if they don't see your name on the contract with the original with the seller they may not give you financing now the way to get around that is I would then go back to the seller and tell them that my partner Yerick is going to buy this house instead of me and I would amend the contract to put it into your name uh -huh. and then you can now go to the bank and get financing with no problem so we just do a simple amendment of the purchaser's name from me to you. You now close with the seller. Um, we still have an assignment contract on the side to use for tracking because that $10,000 is income, taxable income, and I need to track that and show that in my accounting. And um, that is the best way for both of us to do that. You need to show it as an expense to your accountant as well. And I wouldn't do that unless I got the money from you up front. Personally, that's just the way that I handle it. I see. So that is how I would handle that situation. Okay. Perfect. That's a very good question. Let me just ask, verify it if that's okay. Perfect. Okay, another question. Everybody is uh, on the listening mode, I see it. I have to read all the questions. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Okay, so I see uh, there are two following questions. One is, what happens if the seller dies without will before closing? 
Okay. So, well, depending on what the situation is, um, if it's done with a regular contract or an agreement for sale, um, the state needs to still manage the contract that you have because it's still a legal binding contract. If I was going to do this contract as a sandwich lease or agreement for sale where I'm not taking title immediately, I'm going to take title at some point in the future, I would always register a caveat with a lien against the property that says that I have an offer to purchase outstanding. So if something happens to the owner and the owner gets hit by the proverbial bus and the, the uh, executor of the estates doesn't know that they have this deal with me, when the executor finds out that Sam the seller owns a property 123 Main Street, they will go pull the title through the lawyer. The lawyer will see a caveat against the property under my company's name or my name. They will then do research, they'll contact me and I'll explain to them what exactly was outstanding the situation. And they have to honor my contract. Um, depending on when I'm going to buy that property, if I have an agreement for sale for five years down the road still, mm -hmm. that means that that probate on that estate is going to be left open until I close on that deal until they resolve everything else. They may approach you to ask you to close sooner and again, you would have to make a decision for your business whether that makes sense for you to get financing and close on it earlier or if you sell it and you know sell the property, pay them off, whatever it happens to be. So you want to make sure if you're doing a contract that has an extended future closing date, you always register a caveat. If I'm buying a property and that person is ill, you might want to register a property, you know, a, a, a lien as well, just in case something might happen. It, because they, and they've informed you that they're ill, that's why they're selling the property. But you know, sometimes it happens. There's an accident, and this happened to one of my associates. They had a property under contract before they got to closing. The owner was unfortunately died in a uh, tragic accident, and then they had it was tied up a little bit longer because they had to get a probate lawyer in and help them, but they were still able to close the property because the estate still recognized the contract and fulfilled the contract. Now that was a long convoluted answer and I gave two different examples, an immediate situation and a long-term situation. Uh, Shirley, as long, as big, as, as precise, that better, so uh, that's perfectly fine. Mr. Shu, you are on. Another question, here we go. Hey Shu. Yeah, hi. Uh, it's me again. Uh, actually, uh, it's about a deal. Uh, I just uh, put a, a house on contract. Okay. Uh, uh, we just signed a purchase sale agreement. Uh, and my question is, uh, I'm not quite sure. I have to uh, flip the house to another investor, or uh, I can sell the house to somebody. Uh, actually want to live in there and uh, go ahead to to apply for a mortgage to buy the house. Is there any different when I do that? Um, no. Are you going to sell it to them on an assignment? Because uh, uh, I just assign a purchase sale agreement with the original owner. Right. Yes, I can just sell the paperwork to to somebody else who can pay right. me some referral fee, right? But right. The, the problem is uh, maybe I'm thinking sell the house to somebody 
really want to move in and living there. Right. So they can pay me, yes, they can pay me some down payment, but uh, they have to, at the meantime, they have to go to bank to get a mortgage to buy the house, but I'm not quite sure how to handle that kind of situation. Okay, well that's a very good point. In that particular case, the easiest thing to do would be to assign your contract to the homeowner. And I would suggest you do the same thing that you did with uh, what I talked about with the assignment earlier. I would get mm -hmm. it under contract with the homeowner, the seller, like you have done, mm -hmm. find a new homeowner, and explain to them the situation that mm -hmm. uh, you were going to buy the house and now you can't, the property is worth a lot more, and you're looking for a fee mm -hmm. because you found such a good deal. And mm -hmm. you're going to sell it to them for an extra $10,000 or whatever you're planning to do. Mm -hmm. Once you get them to agree to do that, mm -hmm. you'll write up an assignment contract and you write up an amendment. And I would get the amendment made with the original homeowner, mm -hmm. the seller, and tell them that, you know, one of your associates is now going to be the one buying the house, and here's mm -hmm. what their name is, you get it changed. You're going to get your money up front from the new mm -hmm. homeowner that's going to buy the house and live in it. You're mm -hmm. going to get your $10,000 or whatever up front from them. Mm -hmm. here's, the, here's something else you can do. You can mm -hmm. get, let's say, for example, you're going to sell it to them, and you're going to make a $10,000 profit. Mm -hmm. And maybe the new homeowner doesn't have that much money. Mm -hmm. What you could do is take your $10,000 as part cash mm -hmm. and hold a second mortgage on the property for the rest. What I would mm -hmm. do then, to transfer the do the amendment to transfer the um, purchase name into their name mm -hmm. after you've gotten the cash up front, mm -hmm. have them go and fulfill their mortgage with the lender, you know, once they've closed on the property, mm -hmm. we get your lawyer to drop the second mortgage documents for the five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And typically, when I set up a, a vendor take back mortgage for five thousand dollars, I would do for a, a, amortize it over thirty years, mm -hmm. and do a five year term, mm -hmm. and get them to pay me principal and interest payments every month for the next five years. I would then have my lawyer. Mm -hmm. register that on title 45 days after closing. I wouldn't register mm -hmm. it right away because the first mortgage has to show up on title first and be cleared and all that kind of stuff. I'd wait till 45 days later, register mm -hmm. your second mortgage, but I would start getting payments on the second mortgage one month after they moved in. So 30 days after they moved oh. in, I get the payments and I register the second mortgage 45 days later. Okay. So, and it's great because you never owned the property, mm -hmm. you got some cash, and you mm -hmm. got the rest as residual passive income payments, mm -hmm. and now you can show that second mortgage mm -hmm. as an asset on your net worth statement. And the bank now sees that you have income coming from mortgages. Oh. And you're going to get paid more than $5,000 on that mortgage over mm -hmm. time. So it's going to work out to be way better for you, and it's going to help the homeowner get into the house at a discounted rate. Mm -hmm. One of the key things in being a real estate investor and doing wholesale deals, which is what you're talking about here, is this an assignment as a wholesale deal. Mm -hmm. In doing that, the key is to leave something on the table for, for the next person. So I would always make a discount to the new buyer so they see it as a deal and a reason to do business with me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yes. Okay. Did that help mm -hmm. you? Answer yeah. your question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. There's, 
there's so many ways you can spin a deal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and they're helpful. Okay, good. Thanks. Well, I hope Thank so. You. Good luck with you on that one. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Perfect. Sure. You, you're going to be muted. Okay. Uh, there is a question about U.S. from Kanye. Okay. Okay. What kind of market you would focus on if you decided to go to U.S.? And what kind of in and out strategies you would implement in such kind of scenario? Okay. So what kind of, could you repeat that again, please? Is, if you're going to, a, what kind of market, which, which states you would be in, you would be going to? And what kind of in strategies and out strategies you would implement if you were uh, doing, investing in the United States? Okay, great. Well, as far as markets in the U.S., the thing to look at is probably where are the potential for new jobs and where is the most job growth, and the most stable job growth at this particular point in time, excuse me, in the United States. I always look for jobs and people. Where are the people moving to? Where are the jobs being created? Right now in the United States, there's 17 million people on unemployment. So there's a lot of distressed people that you know, are waiting for a job. Uh, I personally like the uh, Phoenix market. I've been investing there since 2004, and I see some real strong things that I think will um, drive that market up faster over the next five years. I think there's some other places that are pretty strong. Things that I've seen, like Atlanta, Georgia. Um, there's possibly in Florida. Keep in mind, Florida, as a foreign investor, you do have some higher tax issues, and the insurance rates are pretty high there already because of tornadoes, or sorry, hurricanes. And with all of the weather activity that's happening in the United States, in the you know Midwest right now with the tornadoes, uh, it makes you wonder what the hurricane season is going to be like this year. So keep in mind that it does cost you more for insurance down there. Typically, in the United States, people migrate to the country about 1% per year. So about 3 million people move into the United States every year. They tend to go to the Sun Belt, which is the southern part of the United States. So they go into Arizona, California, Texas, you know, Georgia, Florida, you know, those type of areas. So that's typically where I look to see where's the migration going to. Um, I think the Vegas market has some potential as well, keeping in mind the biggest industry is tourism, and they've been hit very hard right now because of the economy. And the only people pretty much that are going to Vegas are Canadians in droves because our economy is very strong and we have lots of money. So that's, you know, I'm looking in Phoenix, I'm looking in Vegas, I'm looking in Texas for opportunities, not to say that there's not other markets out there as well. That's predominantly where I'm looking. The types of strategies that I'm looking at at this point in time, um, if I can get it at a really good deal, then I will still consider doing a buy, fix, and sell. You have to get it very cheap in order to make that work. There is um, a lot of uh, concern about where the market's going. The market was slowly correcting itself before 
the U.S. government implemented the $7,000 tax credit to homeowners. That artificially drove the market up. And then after that was done at, at the end of April in 2010, it artificially drove the market back down again. If the government had not implemented that, there would have been a much stronger market in the U.S. housing. It, uh, we, this, the signs were there. And unfortunately, it kind of went backwards. I think the market might go down a little bit more before it starts to go back up in most parts of the United States. So that's why I'm hesitant to do buy, fix, and sell at this point in time. Um, you just need to make sure you get it at the right price and sell it as quick as possible for the right price. And if, it's, if you buy it for 50, put 10 in and think you can sell it for 100, list it at 90 and just get rid of it you know, as soon as possible. The other strategy that I'm using is to buy and hold. Uh, even though it's difficult to get financing compared to Canada, you can't take 20%, put it down, and get a mortgage as an investor, especially holding in a corporation. Most of the major banks are still not lending to a lot of investors, especially investors from out of country. So you're looking at hard money, you know, private lenders, and you can get some reasonable rates, and they still cash flow because of the price value. But I'm looking to hold and rent because I do see my feeling is that over a five-year period, you're going to see significant movement and increase in appreciation in some of those bigger markets, uh, Texas, Atlanta, Vegas, Phoenix, uh, and Florida, hopefully, as well. The other strategies that work really well there right now are rent-to-own and owner financing. There's a lot of owners that have been forced to move out of their houses, and they now want to get back into a home and they're looking for a rent-on solution where they can rent for a two to three year period and then repair their credit and get financing at some point in the future. Or for an investor to set up an owner finance mortgage with a 30-year term and they will you know, have an expectation where they're going to refinance at some point in the future and pay you out. Those are extremely attractive right now and a lot of homeowners are catching on to the whole rent-to-own and owner financing, and they call off ads looking for that, because I do invest in Phoenix at the present time, and that's the kind of calls that we're getting. So that would be my recommendation for there. Thank you. I hope that answered the question, Connie. And there is another question. Let me just browse it. Okay. No microphone again. There is coming back to the contracts and agreement for sales. Who is responsible for costs and damages if there is error in the purchase agreement uh, written by realtor or investor? Okay. If the realtor makes an error in filling out the agreement, the contract or the agreement for sale then they would have the liability on that. And I have had that happen. I bought a piece of land in um, British Columbia for development. And it wasn't until two days before closing that the lawyer caught the fact that we had the wrong legal land description on the offer to purchase. And they scrambled at the last minute, had to pull the title on the correct one, change all the documents, and we were able to catch it in time. So there was a little bit of extra work 
the realtors have errors and emissions insurance to cover expenses related to those type of errors. And as it turned out, the homeowner who owned that piece of land had given the realtor the wrong uh, legal description when they listed the property. So that's what happened in that particular situation. So as well, sometimes the lawyer makes errors. And if the lawyer makes errors, the lawyers also have errors and emissions insurance to go back to and to cover whatever those errors are. If you as an investor make an error, then you could be accountable. And if there's any extra costs for title searches, etc., those would be your costs that you would incur. So what I always recommend is you're writing up an, an offer. Probably one of the most common errors that is made is on the legal description because people get the wrong documents, whatever happens to be. What I do is I take and write down the civic address and then in the legal description I put in to be determined and I purposely don't put it in there. I leave that for the lawyer to write in because again if the lawyer makes a mistake it's their issue. If I make the mistake it's my issue. So on stuff like that you know cover yourself off by having somebody else do it. If you put in an error in a clause again have your lawyer review that contract prior to you closing, even maybe before you, as you're writing it up, before you present it to your buyer, have a meeting with your lawyer on the phone, fax it to them, email it to them, have them review it, go over it with them together and say, this is what I'm, my intent is with this contract. Do I have the correct clauses to cover myself off and the liabilities or anything else I should consider in doing that? The other thing to protect yourself when you buy a property with title issues is you may want to get title insurance. So that comes back if there's anything that's missed by the lawyer and the homeowner that you're buying it from related to the title, the title insurance will cover those um, errors, whatever was, you know, wasn't disclosed or what wasn't found. Does that answer the question? I guess. Let's see it. Okay. Okay. So thank you very much. Fully answered. Okay. So uh, is there any other questions? Uh, guys, this is your time. This is the time to ask the questions for to one of the most knowledgeable real estate investors I ever knew. So Shirley, I don't see any other questions at this moment. Is it okay if I ask you to explain what have you been doing recently and how the investors, they can profit from you know, knowing you, to be honest with you. Okay, well, thank you very much, Yerick. Um, I have been doing a lot of um, investing down the United States. Um, as I mentioned earlier, predominantly in the Phoenix market and some of the, um, the Las Vegas, I do own properties in Detroit, but again, I hold those as a long-term rental because I see it's, you know, going to be a while before that market turns around, but you can get things so cheap. Um, I, so I'm investing down there. If anyone is interested, I have um, I do run tours to the United States, and I have a group of investors that are looking to go down to the United States. So I take them down there. I will inch predominantly to Phoenix. We do a tour around the city, help them understand what the city, the differences are in the different markets, where the you know less desirable areas, where the more desirable. Um, I show them, I introduce them to the power team. I have a whole team of people if anyone's interested in buying down that location. And uh, 
we do we provide mentoring for ongoing uh, support after that as well. So either the tour or mentorship, I've been very busy with that. I also do uh, mentoring here in Canada with a group of people that I've been working with um, on how to invest in real estate in Canada and I travel across the country to do mentorships and help people. I have properties working on deals myself in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta. I have land development project in BC that we're trying to get to the next stage. So I'm, you know, I do a variety of different things. Predominantly here, I do rent to own and work on properties that are in foreclosure and help provide people in foreclosure with solutions to help them resolve their challenges they're having with their lenders. So those are what we currently have on the go, Yarek. Perfect, thank you. And there's a question from Tyler. Do you have any website or contact information? Yes, they can contact me at uh, info at diraydevelopment.com. Uh, do you want me to type that in? Uh, sure. Okay, and you can, it's info at D-I-R-A-E development.com. And I work with my business partner, Carol McConaughey. Carol and I have been partners for over 10 years in real estate in both Canada and the United States. And uh, we're both very knowledgeable on many different strategies for investing. Um, we've been, you know, done real estate. We've also done private lending. We've also done uh, discount notes, land development. You know, I've done a wide variety of of different things. So I can, and I have access to you know large network. So there certainly are things that I can do to help you, and probably a, uh, a number of different you know aspects of real estate investing. Perfect. So I guess we have finished. We have almost reached one hour, which was dedicated to that webinar. Uh, for all, all investors online and who didn't have a chance to participate today, that has been recorded and will be posted very shortly on vip.canadareic.com. So looking forward for, for you guys to have a chance to, to review it and see it. And looking forward to have you on another webinar. That's right, Shirley. And Thank you very much. Yes. I'd love to come back anytime, Yerick. Thank you very much you for the must, invite. You're most much welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for the questions. Great questions tonight. <laughs> Definitely, and it's worth it. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, great. You guys have a good night. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.